the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Well, by the end of this month, we'll be wrapped up with a series simply called Jesus. Uh, We're marching, heading that direction. If you missed that or just somehow tuned out somehow, I just want to remind you, we're just trying to meditate on what Jesus said, what Jesus did. Try to learn not only the exact things that he said, but how he talked, how he looked at the world, how he expected us to view life. And that is why today we're talking about money. I just want to say that out loud. It's not because the elders told me I had to talk about money. It's not because we we, we talk about it periodically just to make sure people get giving. It's because this is actually something Jesus spoke quite a bit about. And from a unique perspective, a perspective that most people don't come at it. In fact, only Jesus and his followers have the perspective on money that Jesus had. See, Jesus presented himself as the Lord, and he said really huge, massive things like, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life to the full. And he implied that if you follow him and you put everything, you invest everything you have in him, you're going to find a fuller life than you could find any other way or any other place. And he said even bolder things than that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is the way that Jesus approached literally everything. And at the heart of anything we're going to say today, that's the message. Jesus is Lord. Would you say that out loud with me real quick? Just those three words. Jesus is Lord. If we get that, I could just sit right back down and we could apply that to pretty much everything in life. Today we're going to, we happen to be talking about money. We're going to start out here. Just a quick word of caution. Be careful. Be careful because sometimes people who mean well, people who are respected by the world, people who are known religious leaders are wrong about money. Sometimes people are actually just the people you would like to be able to trust about it, the people that you wish. Be careful. Sometimes you're going to get well-meaning advice from people in your family. Oh, you don't give that much. Don't invest that much. Don't give up that job and become a missionary. Are you crazy? Do you know what I'm talking about? And it, it, they're giving it to you out of love, and they're not evil, and there's nothing really bad about what they're saying. It's just the question is, is Jesus Lord or is someone else Lord? And it's really easy for us, even well-meaning, wise people sometimes get that mixed up. And sometimes they're just straight up evil. In Matthew 28, the religious leaders bribed the soldiers who had seen Jesus come back to life. Can you imagine? How much money would it take for you to keep that quiet? I just can't even imagine. But that's where the original story that they had stolen the body came from. It's right there in Matthew 28. They bribed the soldiers who had seen Jesus come back to life, saw the angels roll away the stone, saw him wipe out. They give them money, and the soldiers told a lie that the disciples had come and stolen the body. That's just nuts. How could you choose money over power like that? that you had seen with your own eyes. But it happens all the time. And how could the religious leaders at that moment still be so against Jesus and not realize they were wrong? How? I don't know, but that's what happened. In Mark 14, uh, Jesus is anointed by a, a woman and she pours a whole bunch of really expensive 
perfume on him. And pretty much everybody in the whole place is offended because they had this rule, a very uh, accepted addition to the actual scriptural rules called the extravagance rule. It was wrong to be overly extravagant or wasteful in any way. So here comes this woman. She's pouring this really expensive perfume, and they're going, ooh, I think that's a little extravagant. <laughs> kind of, we go, oh, I think that might be inappropriate. You know what I'm talking about? They're, oh, I see some extravagance. But Jesus says, hey, you know what? There's always going to be poor people on this planet. And you're always supposed to be helping them. But right now, she's getting me ready for my burial. I'm not always going to be here in a physical form. This is a beautiful thing. Y'all keep your little extravagance comments to yourselves. (laughs) Again, because the question is not, is it a good idea to not be extravagant and wasteful? Absolutely. But that's not what he's talking about here. Jesus is Lord, and then there's everything else. Also, one last warning, and then we're going to just jump into what Jesus himself said. Sometimes, some of the worst mistakes we can make is to just take a one verse out of context somewhere in the Bible and just build a whole theology around that. Even the devil liked to do that on purpose. Remember that a couple weeks ago? He does that all the time. Here's one. Do not make this your life verse. Don't put it on mugs. Don't wear it on hats. Ecclesiastes 10:19. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. That's in the Bible, but taken out of context might be a problem for you. Last week, I had the privilege to be part of uh, Adventure Week at camp. It was amazing. Get to go back today. Can't wait. But with the high schoolers, we get to go rafting on the Okoe. And it's always fun to get to know the, the raft guides. They're just an incredible group of people. And their stories are always really different, how they got there, why they're there, how they got there. But a couple things are always the same. One is they barely even survive. They're basically doing this crazy stuff and their huge responsibility over and over every single day for very little money and room and board. They don't own the boats. They don't own, I think they might own their own life jackets and helmets. They usually have some customized ones, but I don't even know that for sure. Those might be provided. They basically do it because they want to. They basically do it because they represent the company. Hear me now. This is where this becomes important. They represent the company that hires them. It's the company's raft. It's the company's paddles. It's the company's life jackets and helmets. It's their reputation. It's their job. And the raft guide's real job is not just to get us down the river, randomly just get some people down the river, but to make that company look really good. Do you understand what I'm saying? What we think about the raft guides and that ride we had is what we think about Raft One, which is a really great company to go with if you ever want to go whitewater rafting. We're like, man, we're doing that again with those guys because they're awesome. The raft guides represent that. And that is how Jesus has set up everything for us, including money. It's not actually our stuff. It's not our life. It's not our body. It's not our house. It's not our time. It's really his. And we just manage it. And however we manage it, kind of says some stuff to the world about Jesus. And that's why it's so important that we get it right. Here's what Jesus said. You can quote this with me if you would. 
No one can serve two masters. Let's say that one more time. It's actually Jesus' own words. I really want it to stick. Let's say it together. No one can serve two masters. We'll see the whole quote in a second. But here's, here's again, the big idea that I see everywhere in everything Jesus said about money. You don't even have to squint that hard sometimes. He entrusts us with everything that we need to do his will. We share and manage it. And if we do it well, he rewards us with the things that money act promises but can't really deliver. He gives us true freedom, a true sense of freedom in the world, a true sense of power in the world. And he gives us even more responsibilities, responsibilities that actually matter. They're not just making sure we show up at work every day or making sure we pay certain bills. They actually have eternal consequences. When we're faithful in the little things, he puts us in charge of bigger things. Not necessarily more money, but sometimes even that. When we're faithful in small things, he gives us bigger things to be faithful in. But the problem is, let's just hear it from Jesus himself. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I love this little aside that uh, Luke gives us. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. This is one of many, many things he said that made them so angry. In Mark, we read this. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. And they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? See, even back then, they knew that religion and politics get complicated when you mix them together. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin, and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Pretty good stuff. Little historical note for anybody who cares. Roman money was some of the first money that we still have around and can historically prove that it existed. It actually has people's faces on it. Uh, the, Caesar's portrait was one of the first times people put a portrait on something that represented wealth. Just throwing that out there. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent out the 12. And this is another one that sometimes gets um, taken out of context because he actually sent them out several times. And one time he sent them out with 60 others at the same time. There were 72 that time. And he eventually sent out all the disciples, including us. And this was the only time he gave this speech. But on this particular mission trip, in Mark chapter 6, he sent out the 12 and he specified that they could only take a staff and sandals nothing else he goes this long list no bread no bag no money in your belts they had to completely depend on the hospitality of wherever they stayed and if nobody gave them hospitality they moved on shook the dust off their feet again this wasn't because it's wrong to have anything except sticks and sandals some of us don't even have sandals some of us don't have sticks 
It's not about the particulars. It's the heart of it all, right? And what Jesus is saying is, I need you to go out on this trip, and I need you to do some stuff for me. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to heal some people. You're going to warn them that I'm coming right behind you, and I need you to completely trust me in this. You're not going to have a backup plan. There's no plan B on this one. You're going to have to trust me because no one can serve two masters. That's the point of him having them do that that time. In Luke chapter 19, the whole chapter in one way or another talks about money-related things and the things that Jesus said and did about it. it, it they're not, it's not one big lesson about it. There's, there's one story. But it starts out, it's a great chapter, one of my favorites of the book. It starts out with the story of Zacchaeus. Raise your hand if you've heard of Zacchaeus. You know the song? We're not going to sing it, but I like, I like the song. But here's, what, here's the thing. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He loved money so much that he had actually started working for the enemy. And the tax collectors of that day were so despised because they were dishonest. Rome encouraged them to be dishonest. They could charge more than Rome was charging and get by with it legally, I guess. And so everybody hated them. And he was really rich. And he was really, really not popular. But somehow he saw Jesus and decided, I want that more. Climbed the tree, the whole thing. You've heard the story. Jesus goes to his home. Again, people are offended. How dare you go to his home? What are you thinking? But in that one day, Jesus ended that day saying this, salvation has come to this house today. And as he usually used that word, he wasn't just talking about, hey, when this guy dies, he's going to go to heaven. He's saying, this guy's been pulled out of the darkness and put into the light. This guy was an enemy of God, and now he's a friend of God. This guy used to be on the other side. Now he's following me. Everything has changed for this guy. And a huge part of that was he just repaid all the debts. He, he gave back to everybody he'd ever cheated. He just randomly blessed the poor, completely restructured the thing that had been a God in his life. More important than relationships, more important than reputation. He completely restructured how he saw that and how he used that from that day forward. Money was no longer his God. It was a tool from that day on, and it was a big part of his salvation. As the chapter continues, Jesus tells one of several stories he told about someone entrusting someone with money. In most Bibles, it's labeled as the ten minas or minas. People say it different ways. I don't know which one's right, and I don't really care. But the point of the story is that somebody entrusts somebody with their money, and when they come back, they expect some results. You ever heard that story, too? And then this chapter continues, and it doesn't look like money, but Jesus is about to... Uh, do the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the big parade at the beginning of the Passion Week. And he basically steals two donkeys. I mean, I'm sure he gives them back, but he doesn't buy them. He just says, hey, I need these. And the guy says, sure, anything for you, Jesus. And it, donkeys were worth a lot back then. That was basically their cars. And he asked for two of them. And they're, yeah, go for it. He didn't even say, I'm going to give it back at the end of the day or offer him money. He just said, tell him the Lord needs him. And the guy goes, there you go. Because, again, the point is not how much money this or how much money that or that money is evil or that money is good. But you can't serve two masters. There's Jesus and there's everything else. That's why he cleared the temple as well. Not just because of what they were doing wrong. 
with money. That's all in that same chapter too. But because they were keeping people away from God. And it just keeps going. The parable of the talents. He makes two things very, very clear. One is that God expects us to use what he gives us. And that second is, again, I said this already. I'm saying it again on purpose. The second is those who are faithful with a few things are rewarded with an opportunity to be faithful in more things. Perhaps money, perhaps responsibility, perhaps a whole bunch of different variations on that theme, but that's how that works. In Matthew 20, he tells a story that almost seems to contradict these messages, but it really doesn't. It's the story of the vineyard workers. And the one person goes and he hires a bunch of people early in the morning and they work all day long. You ever heard, remember this story? Raise your hand if you heard this one. And then the next, in the next hour, he goes and hires more people, so they work a little less. By the end of the day, right before quitting time, he hires a bunch more people, and he ends up paying them all the same amount. And everybody gets really mad. And he says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And we always want to go, so, okay, obviously the guy in control represents God, so is God. Well, and I think it does in this case. I'm just saying we always need to be careful when we read Jesus' stories. We need to make sure we ask a lot of questions. And I believe the point of this one is not so much how God does certain things. I think it does have a lot to say about we can't save ourselves. I think it has a lot to say that everybody gets the offer of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, not just us. I think it absolutely says that. I think it's also saying, how dare we question God why that person has more money than me or more talents than me or more opportunities than me or more whatever else than me. It's his stuff. It's his spirit. It's his world. It's his raft company. We're just the raft guides. Are you with me? Amen. He's in control. Again, no matter what else these stories tell us, we keep seeing this theme. There's Jesus and there's everything else. You can't serve two masters. Jesus and anything, including Jesus and money. In Mark 12, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Much earlier, at the home of a guy named Simon, Jesus told this story. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. My great-grandpa Pryor, my dad's dad's dad, he, he had a really dry sense of humor. And uh, whenever people would come over to his house, 
and eat dinner as if they thanked him as they left he'd say oh that's okay we don't have much but what we have we hate to see go just as much as if we had a lot But whether you've been forgiven a lot or you've been forgiven a little, whether you've given a lot, you've given a little, at the end of the day, the whole conversation that Jesus would have with you and with me about money comes down to no one can serve two masters. There's Jesus. There's everything else. So as we start to wrap up this morning, I want to give you some really practical stuff because I know I need it. I think we all need it. I recently went back through Financial Peace University again. Really appreciate that being made available to us. Um, I think anything we can do to honor God with the way we live in any way of our life, uh, that's any area of our life, I think that's something that we need to do, figure out how we can do it all better. But there's some really practical stuff all throughout the scriptures, and God is actually very consistent with these themes and all the way through Old Testament, New Testament. So really quickly, we're going to just walk through these. Here's some things you see over and over again. One is the idea of the tithe, which is 10% what you have, you give to God. One is the idea of first fruits, which means that whatever you give to God, you give him first. You pay God first, and then you do whatever else. Another thing you see over and over is the idea of offerings which sometimes we mix up with tithes, but basically in the scripture, offerings is above and beyond the tithe, and it's just sharing with people, being generous with what you have. The 90% that is, quote unquote, yours, even though it's all God's. And then wisdom is just practical stuff about money and how money works. Uh, There's actually quite a bit just in Proverbs alone that talks about industry and working hard and saving and all kinds of stuff. I think it's worth noting that Proverbs uh, 31, uh, the Proverbs 31 woman, how many of you ladies love, hate that that lady? You You know what I'm talking about? She's like the... The, the standard somehow, but what, uh, somehow a lot of people don't notice that lady works outside the home, has a successful business. She's not a stay-at-home mom. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but there's a lot that men could learn about money from the Proverbs 31 woman. Just saying, you might want to go back and check that one out. But here's some things that I know apply to every single one of us. We're going to walk through them together, including a few more things that Jesus said. 1 Timothy 6.10, probably the most misquoted verse in the Bible. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. How many have heard it said this way? Money is the root of all evil. How many of you ever heard somebody say that? Okay. That's nowhere in the Bible. That's not what it says. Okay. In fact, that verse in Ecclesiastes I read early almost sounds like that's the opposite of that. This is what it says. It's the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. And the reason is not the money. It's because there's one Lord and there's everything else. And money is in the everything else category. Ecclesiastes 5.10, Old Testament. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. 
I, I don't personally ever waste time with Forbes magazine. I, it has nothing to do with my life. But I know that there are people that are making like $38 billion a year, and they're looking at it going, I'm only number three. Why can't ever I get to number one? You know what I'm saying? And you're like, God, seriously? But that's what that's talking about. Psalm 15, it's a psalm about how do you approach God? What does holiness look like? If you live totally set apart from the rest of the world and you're actually walking in the way God wants, what does that look like? And it says this, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live in your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to their neighbor and casts no slur on others who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord. By the way, that word despises, I got to pause for a second. It doesn't mean you just hate that that vile person. That's not what it's about. It's the opposite of honor. That person gets no respect from me. This person does. The vile person doesn't get my respect, even if they're rich, even if they're famous. If they got there by being vile, good luck to them. I honor those who fear the Lord. Does that, make, does that make sense? That's what that's talking about. It doesn't mean you hate them. It means, yeah, they're a celebrity. Who, who cares? Who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind? Here we go. Who lends money to the poor without interest and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. And this is another one sometimes is misunderstood. It's not wrong to charge interest. That's a legitimate business. What it, what it's talking about abusing the poor by charging them high interest, kind of like those cash now businesses around town. Sorry if you're watching. We love you too, but you should repent. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm serious. When, when you take advantage of people and where they are and you abuse them using money or using anything else that you've been entrusted with, that's just wrong. And that's what it's saying. It's not wrong to charge interest. It's, charged to, it's wrong to abuse the poor. You see it by example as well. When Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, this is Genesis 14. Abraham has just fought this huge battle that God gave him the victory, and he's excited, and he goes to this priest named Melchizedek. He was the priest of God most high, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Also in Genesis. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, this is the night he spent the night with his, a rock as a pillow, and he saw the angels ascending and descending. Ever heard that story? Okay, here's his prayer. Kind of a selfish prayer, actually. He's still kind of a jerk at the beginning of this story arc. Jacob's not a good guy yet. But here's his prayer. If God will be with me and will watch over me in this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give you a tent. He's not, they're not making this up. This was already something that was happening. People just knew that was part of God's plan already. Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 23. Now it's becoming law. Now it's part of the Mosaic law. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. 
Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. I love this. I wish that it could be more like this. When they gave the tithe, they actually just brought a tenth of it and it had to be all used up and shared that day. They ate, to, it was part of their worship. They didn't just like give money. They actually said, well, 90% is gonna be over here, but here's 10%, who's hungry? That'd be, that's pretty cool. Malachi chapter 3, it says this, I, the Lord, do not change. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And Jesus is talking about all of these things. The righteousness in Psalm 15, the idea of the tenth, the whole thing. He's talking about all of this when he interacts with, this, with the Pharisees here. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. In other words, they were so religious about this, so self-righteous about this, they didn't just tithe money, they tithe spices. Well, 90% of the pepper, got to save 10% for God. That's craziness. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Again, we're really focusing on what Jesus said. I don't have time to just go off very much, but I want to give you just a couple of quick statistics just to help you dream. What would it look like if all God's people really followed Jesus? There's Jesus and him being Lord of everything, including money, and that's it. Statistics and surveys forever show that right now uh, Christians, everybody who identifies themselves as a Christian in America right this minute and has filled out a survey give at the most 2.5% of their income to God, about a quarter of that 10% mark. You know how much they gave in the Great Depression? 3.3%. I know gas is expensive, but let's not whine about it and make that a justification. If all the people who call themselves a Christian in America, all the denominations, all of them everywhere, if we all combined, every person who says, yes, I'm a Christian, we all tithe. That would provide $300 billion every single year that would be available to bless the world. We don't have even a tiny fraction of that available in any, certainly not in this church, and I don't know any church that has anything like that. Did you know that just $15 billion, and I say just, that's a lot of money, but compared to 300, it's nothing. $15 billion would eliminate homelessness in America. Every homeless person would have a home and a counselor who's taking care of them and a job and job training. $15 billion would wipe that out. We could do that every year with a whole lot of change if we all just took that seriously. This is not judgment. This is not me saying you're going to hell if you don't give God 10%. This is not it. I'm just saying dream with me. 
Dream with me. What if we all put Jesus as Lord and everything else, including money, is not? Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that is the hope. We're not saved because we give. We're not saved because we serve. We're not saved because we're earning our way into heaven someday. We're not saved because we avoid certain sins or because we do certain things. Thank God, because none of us ever could get there. Thank God we're saved because of Jesus. But please, brothers and sisters, not just in the area of money, may we never forget that Jesus saves us out of sin and into righteousness and holiness out of being his enemies and into being his friends, out of trying to be on our own and make sure we get enough money and power so that we can get what we want and feel free and into trusting him to take care of us, out of trying to buy our own little rafts and start our own little business side by side with a thousand other people and just saying, hey, I work for these people, but my goodness, what a great way to live my life. That's what it means. And I hope that this morning, whether it's a money decision or any other kind of decision, that you're willing to make that choice today, to let Jesus be your master, one master, the master over everything. I hope this morning that you've heard not just some warnings and some practical ideas, but you've heard the core idea that Jesus has in every single teaching he has about money or anything. He is Lord. There's Jesus. There's everything else. Whatever you need to do to surrender like that this morning, I'm actually going to stand right over there, which is just off camera. But if you're worried about being on camera, you can join me right over there. We're all going to worship God together. And I invite you to do whatever business you need to do with him. And if you need to make it public and come forward, I'll be right here.